According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in the book of Philippians this morning. Join me, if you would, in Philippians chapter 3. We're pressing on, as uh, verse 14 says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And uh, this expresses an attitude that every one of us should possess, an attitude, a way of thinking that God holds us to because we are accountable for how we think. And so uh, we're in the midst of this right here. In fact, we're ready this morning now to look at uh, the attitude adjustments that come in verse 15 and 16 as we walk by the standard that God has established for each one of us. All right, God is spirit. He must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. In preparation for our study of the Word of God this morning, we're going to take a moment for silent prayer. And this gives each believer priest the opportunity to confess any sins, to quiet your heart, to humble yourself, to uh, prepare yourself for the worship of, of God's Word. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your truth, thankful for the spirit of truth, and thankful for each one of us now that can walk in the truth, that your Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our understanding and and leads us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So we call upon your faithfulness, Father, to bless our time of study, feed us from your truth. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this is uh, what we're looking at here, simply titling the the uh, paragraph pressing on the upward way. One of my favorite hymns, by the way, that we sing, that higher ground uh, that we sing uh, quite often. But pressing on the upward way, we don't assume that we've already been perfected. And if I can back up slightly to verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. And that's important that we don't lose sight of because it seems to be contradictory to our verse this morning in verse 15 where it says, let us therefore as many as are perfect. And so when you have verse 12 on the one hand, when Paul says, I've not yet been perfected, and you have verse 15 when he says, as many of us as are perfect, then you have a conundrum. You've got a, uh, an issue you've got to resolve and decide whether these are contradictory, whether Paul's being sarcastic in the second case, or, or what's happening here to, to relate these things. And I don't think they're, they're contradictory at all. I think they're wonderfully complementary. When we realize that the perfection activity, the verb, teleao, the verb that happens here to when God does the perfecting, that that never stops. That keeps going as long as we're here. And so until we've died or been raptured or left planet Earth somehow, if we're still here, then God continues to perfect us. So we continue to be perfected, which doesn't stop a statement being made in verse 15 as, let us therefore as many as are perfect or as many as are mature. That can also be true. You should grow to the point of maturity whereby you realize I'm no longer a babe, I'm no longer an adolescent, I'm now an adult, I'm a mature believer in Christ. I I am teleos while I continue to be teleaoed, if that makes sense. That's the, the reality, that you can be perfect and still God continues to perfect what is perfect. And so that never stops. And, and really, it is the definitive testimony. And so uh, let me just pick up here. I'm going to skip on ahead as we outline this. The third point of study was from verse 14. The, the focus of Paul's pressing forward was always forward. It was the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And even the way that the, the, the verse reads, the way that he wrote the verse actually drags you forward and forward and forward with, with, with each word that gets written. Because he talks about forgetting what lies behind in verse 13, reaching forward to what lies ahead. And then he illustrates that the way that he phrases it in verse 14. Because he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And it just keeps going and going and going. It's like, do you remember those Energizer Bunny commercials where they just keep going and going and going? That's what Paul's doing here in this verse. And I love it. I think he's, he's illustrating what it's all about, is looking forward and reaching forward. And so uh, this upward call, and I think 
too, when you recognize this, some of the blessings that we have, some subpoints on this, but we'll let those go. Whoops, wrong slide. This upward call, the idea of, uh, of course, Anno is upward and Clasis is the call. We have this calling. We have this upward calling. And this is unique to the dispensation of the church. Old Testament saints, Jews and Gentiles alike, they had callings. They were called as uh, you know, uh, prophets or priests or uh, judges, or they had different callings in the Old Testament, but they didn't have the upward call. We're the ones that are the heavenly citizens. We're the ones that have the upward call. And, uh, you know, you have, uh, here I am, send me. You got some great passages. <laughs> Isaiah knew he was being called. Jeremiah knew he was being called. God said, you know, when you were in the womb, I knew you, I called you. They had callings in the Old Testament, but they didn't have the upward calling. That's significant. They didn't have the victorious uh, Jesus Christ seated at the Father's right hand. They weren't baptized into union with Jesus Christ. They were not royal family of God as, as church age saints are. We have the upward call. And that is, uh, that is quite significant. No prior stewardship and no subsequent stewardship. When you look forward to the tribulational saints or the millennial saints or even the fullness of time in the new heavens and on the new earth, no uh, other stewardship except the bride is, uh, is, is one with Christ. God the Father awarding prizes to a corporate body in Christ. That's unique to us in the body and bride of Jesus Christ. And so hopefully we're clear on that. When you center on all those in Christo expressions, you're talking about in Christ. And that's our positional truth reality. All right. Where we left off on Wednesday as we're dealing with maturing believers, mature believers allow the Lord to demonstrate their wrong attitudes and they welcome every attitude adjustment. Mature believers allow the Lord to demonstrate their wrong attitudes. And we see this in verse 15. If you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Okay? Different means wrong. <laughs> i got to tell you, because God's attitude is right. And so if your attitude is different from God's attitude, if your thinking is different from God's thinking, it's not alternative. That's, you know, code in our generation. People have alternative thinking, alternative lifestyles, alternative opinions of, of things. And they're different from God's opinions. And so you either conform to God's standard of righteousness or you're in sin. That's the simple issue of it there. And unlike babes who resist correction or adolescent believers you know, in those teenage years, you think there's nothing that needs to be corrected because you know everything. You know, the adolescent, they're not really swift to allow God to demonstrate these things. But the mature believer craves it. The mature believer just craves God. Show me where I'm not right. Show me where I'm off the track. Show me where I'm looking at this verse wrong. Show me where I'm misapplying it. Because we realize that uh, the mature believer realizes that the, the, the time is short that uh, the road in front of them is a lot smaller than the road behind them, as it were. And they, they want to be, they want to finish strong. They want to be about their father's business and, and uh, that time past is, is sufficient. And so really that's what this is about, uh, allowing the Lord to show us these wrong attitudes. And this is the definitive testimony. It defines being mature. When you can say, he's still working on me. When you can say, I'm not yet perfected. When you can say that, then uh, that's a testimony to you actually being perfect, to you being mature, to you being teleos, all right? And if you're waiting to be for that teleos to be complete, for the teleo activity to be complete, well, you can't wait that long because it's never going to be complete until he takes you home to glory. And so uh, to, when you make that statement that he's working on me, I'm forgetting what lies behind, I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead, that's the definitive testimony of a mature believer to say I'm not there yet. Okay? Whereas opposed to, like I say, the adolescent believer or any believer that tells you that he's mature, uh, that, that thinks he is, is probably not as mature as he thinks he is, right? And who thinks that he's done, that he's grown as much as he's going to grow, that actually, you know, now he's going to kind of drift in his Bible class and stop taking in so much because he's learned it all. You know, he's, he's learned that, read that, you know. Um, when, you, when you start to think that you have enough doctrine, when you start to think that you've learned enough, that you've grown enough, then... Uh, I, I suspect you're not as mature as you think you are, that you're dealing with some of the adolescent pride that uh, is hindering you from reaching 
what this uh, verse here is talking about. Anyway, we had some subpoints on this, how the Word of God transforms us. And this, if you missed it on Wednesday or even a week ago, we were looking at some of these verses. God tells us to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that's a high standard, right? And that perfection is perfect love that we read about in 1 John 4, that perfect love whereby we can love our enemies, whereby we can, we can pray for those that persecute us. And we have that perfect love that the Father had when He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And uh, this is the goal of what we're headed for. Now, thinking this way, back to this attitude. Remember, uh, have this attitude is an imperative. It's a command. It's a present tense command. We're, We're expected all day, every day to have this attitude, to maintain this thinking. And uh, it really is. It's an imperative from, uh, from uh, we have phreneo as a thinking verb. There's uh, frame for the mind. There's other terms that speak of, of the mind or the thinking or the opinion. And that's what we have here. And it should be the same. This one and no other. Have the same attitude that Christ had. The same attitude that Paul had. The same attitude. We want to think the same way, which is not to be an occult or not to be you know slaves to, to a church leader but to have the thinking that Christ has, which is the same thinking that your pastor is striving or struggling and trying to adopt himself. And you should be striving and struggling to adopt yourself. It's the same attitude. And it's the same imperative we had in, in chapter 2 and verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, that kenosis passage from chapter 2. So think this way. Keep thinking this way. First uh, Corinthians 14.20 is another indicator of that have this attitude and i forget off hand what uh, 1420 says so let me not misquote it oh here we go brother do not be children in your thinking yet in evil be infants but in your thinking be mature be perfect if you're christ-like you're perfect and so we have mature thinking in uh, respect to our christ-like thinking now my favorite point on this whole outline. What happens when you don't think the way God wants you to think? Does God just kind of give up? Does God just kind of hang his head and say, oh, well, they'll figure it out someday? Or does he take active steps? Let me get back to Philippians here. Does he take active steps to spotlight what needs to be changed? (laughs) That's what he does, all right? Because God is in the business of showing us his, uh, and revealing what he's doing. So here's the point. Here's the way I put it. If anyone has a different attitude, God will apocalypto, the verb for revelation, uh, God will reveal that also to you. In fact, God will go apocalyptic on you. How, how's that? God will go apocalyptic on you, on anybody, with heterophrenic immaturity with heterophrenic immaturity. All right. And this is just a goofy way to put it out there so you remember it. You remember these terms, heterophrenic. It's like schizophrenic, only different. Hetero is different, okay? Homo is same. And we're supposed to be homophrenic. We're supposed to have the same thinking God has, the same thinking that Christ has. We want to be homophrenic with Jesus Christ. We don't want to be heterophrenic. This is one instance where hetero is bad and homo is good in the phrenic department and how we think, okay? Not in other things. But heterophrenic immaturity. If you're thinking differently, that means you've not yet reached the maturity that God has for you to reach. And so he will go apocalyptic. What do I mean by that? This is where, again, Hollywood is destroying our vocabulary for us, so we have to fight back. Uh, you know, you go, you watch a big Hollywood blockbuster and they use words like apocalyptic. They like to use words like Armageddon. They like to, you know, and these things are supposed to be scary, right? It's supposed to be like a, a, an end of the world scenario. Or it's supposed to be some frightening thing, you know, a, cl- a cliffhanger kind of movie or whatever and keeps it uh, on the edge of your seat. And so they throw those words out, Armageddon and apocalyptic and, and some of these other expressions because basically our culture's biblically illiterate anyway they don't know they just they just see a scary bible word and think oh, end of the world or 
fire and brimstone or wrath of God or something, right? And so uh, you tell somebody apocalyptic just means he's revealing himself, <laughs> okay? Uh, you know, he's not hiding. He's not hiding. It's not, you know, if calupto is to cover or to hide to, to, to make something obscure, well then apocalypto is the opposite of that. You're unhiding. You're un, you know, it's, you know, it'd be like playing hide and go seek and then you never show yourself, right? You just, no, God's not in that business. God's in the business of revealing and showing and explaining. That's what it's about. It, the revelation of Jesus Christ is the explanation of what these end time events are going to be. And uh, it's not some hidden thing. All right. God is a God who loves to reveal and display things for clear understanding. He is a God who loves to reveal and display things for clear understanding, including your own carnality. God's got a wonderful, it's like show and tell, <laughs> you know? It's like going to school and, and uh, you got something to show uh, your classmates and then you tell them about it. And well, that's what God does. <clears throat> he does it constantly. Old Testament, New Testament, today. He likes to show things, including areas that we've got to grow up in, our weaknesses, uh, the uh, blind spots, as it were. God is a God who loves to reveal and display things for clear understanding. And I hope I didn't go overboard on this, um, but there's just so many to choose from, and I love them all. And, uh, and to me, it's, it's, a, it's a glory that uh, God is as simple as He is, that He's revealed Himself in His Word, Join me if you would in Psalm 25, uh, that God teaches, He puts it in writing, He lays it out there for us to, to check Him out. If we, think, uh, if we think somebody's trying to pull the wool over our eyes, well then, you know, go get a Bible and check it out. Be noble-minded. Search the Scripture, see if these things are so. And, uh, and, and I love this. All right. <clears throat> Psalm 25, 8 and 9. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Now, so there's instruction, there's teaching. And what comes with that? He leads the humble in justice. So there's teaching along with leading, along with leadership. He's going to walk with us. Remember, the Lord is our shepherd and he walks with us. He leads us as we, as we see here. <clears throat> Verse 9, he leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. And so this kind of gets things started as far as it goes. So if we have a pride issue, if we have arrogance that's keeping us from learning doctrine, well then guess what? That's the first attitude adjustment God's got to make. He's got to beat down that pride. And thankfully, He's able to humble all who walk in pride. And He's able to humble to the point that now we're teachable. So corrective measure number one is to humble us, <laughs> get us to a point where we're teachable. He wants us to be like the child the, the child is just, you know, in some cases uh, just, you know, because of ignorance and innocence and, and gullibility and just the way they're designed, they're, they're designed to be teachable. That's, that's what children are, and they're trusting. And they'll believe anything their parents tell them, they'll believe anything that, that uh, just, they'll absorb it. They're, they're open. And when the Bible tells us to be humble like a child, that's for that reason. We should have the same openness to the Word of God to learn anything He wants to teach us from the Word of God and have that uh, aspect there. All right. I remember uh, <laughs> I learned this the hard way when we started homeschooling. We homeschooled all four of our kids. And so when, when Bobby, when Bob was um, first starting kindergarten and first learning, you know, about America and about our presidents, and so I told him, I said, man, the very first president of the United States was a bullender. Boy, did his eyes get wide. He's like, wow, really? We've got a famous family? We, and then I had to, oh, wait a minute. Because <clears throat> he believed me. And I was just joking with him. But I realized that uh, this kid's gullible. This kid's kind of stupid. You know what I mean? Well, he's not stupid, but <laughs> a bright kid. The problem is that he's open. He's trusting. He loves his father, and his father would never lie to him. So he's going to believe everything his father says. And then, boy, was I corrected. I had to stop and say, ooh, wait a minute. No, I'm just joking. Sorry, that wasn't funny. George Washington was the first president, you know, and have to correct his kindergarten U.S. history. <coughs> but back to 
a proper example of, example of parenting, not mine, but God's example of parenting, because this is what God does. God shows the things that we're supposed to see. And so in Jeremiah, we have a, a neat example of this. Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah 1. We've got some patterns here that I find very useful as we meditate on Scripture, as we pray for divine guidance and leading. Jeremiah 1. And verse 11 The word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. And so under prophetic utterance, getting a vision, and he sees this vision. And so not only does he see the vision, but then God starts following up and asking him questions about it for clarity, for um, the, the, the certainty of what he's seeing. What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. And the Lord said, excellent, you have seen well, right? Just making sure that he saw what he was looking at. How many times do we look at things and we don't see what we're looking at? Because we see something else, right? And, and I mean, he, he got a close look at it. He knew it was an almond tree. He knew it wasn't a fig tree or it wasn't an apple tree or some other kind of tree. He knew it was the rod of an almond tree. So uh, the Lord praised him. Said, you have seen well. That meant he looked and he looked closely and he paid attention to what he was looking at. For I am watching over my word to perform it. I am watching over my word to perform it. So God himself is watching. God is diligent in what he looks at and he wants his servants to be diligent in what they're looking at. And as he teaches them, he, he follows up just to make sure they're getting it right. Because what if, what if he didn't look all that closely? What if he thought it was another kind of tree? Well, then the, uh, the message would not have come through. Because, uh, by the way, there's a vocabulary play on words there. The almond, the, the vocabulary there speaks of being awake, being watchful. And then God uses the verb to say, I'm watchful. That's why this rod is an almond rod. So that the vocabulary reminds you what it's all about. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, what do you see? So the Lord doesn't just assume that you know, Jeremiah, he's got, he's got this. He says he's a good pastor. He's a good prophet. He pays attention. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't assume that. He doesn't assume that because he passed the test the first time that he's still just as hungry, just as diligent, just as faithful today. So when the word of the Lord comes a second time, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Excellent. That's what he was supposed to see. And so the Lord said to me, out of the north, the evil will break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. And goes on to describe the things that are happening there from the north. Okay, In any event, so in both of these cases, verse 11 and verse 13, he gets a vision and then he follows up with Jeremiah and says, do you see what you're looking at? Let me make sure you, you, you've received this message. Let me make sure you're, you're not missing something here. And this is what God the Father does. God is a demonstrator. God is one that shows things. And I think that's a, that's a marvelous blessing. And we can use this in our prayers. <clears throat> we can use this if we're considering the will of God. If we're under teaching and we're in a passage and we're, we're considering different things. And, and, and so it's not wrong. It's not wrong to go to the Father in prayer and ask Him. Say, Lord, I'm a I want to make application of this doctrine. I want to live out this passage. Uh, the pastor's been teaching about such and such. And, and so I have, a, I have an opportunity here in my life to make this decision. You know, uh, if I'm going to take this job or move to this town or, or marry this girl or whatever it is I'm, I'm trying to find, right? And, uh, and, and these are the kind of things that you don't have a verse in the Bible that tells you, you know, Move to Austin to marry Sharon Schneider. It's, just, it's not there. But what you can do as you're learning the Word of God, as you're pursuing His will, go to Him in prayer and say, Father, I'm looking at these circumstances. I'm looking at the provision You've made. I'm seeing that this. Uh, I'm seeing something here that I think is Your will, and I want You to make clear that I'm seeing what You want me to see, and that I'm not just seeing what I want to see. I'm not just seeing what my humanity wants to see or my carnality wants to see. Or, you know, uh, she's, a, she's a real pretty girl. I want to marry her. 
Uh, and so I'm going to talk myself into this being the will of God, even though if I was more objective, I would recognize that, um, you know, she's not saved, she's not a believer, I can't marry an unbeliever, or whatever. You see what I'm saying? Believers can talk themselves into the will of God and in ways that uh, would might surprise you, all right? And so this is what you do. <clears throat> Doesn't surprise you at all? All right. What you need to do then is be like the Lord and say, not my will, but thine be done. And when you go to Him in prayer and say, Father, this is what I'm looking at. And if I'm not seeing what I'm supposed to be seeing, or if I'm looking at the wrong thing, then close that door. Take it away. Remove it. Because I don't want my will to be done. And I don't want to, you know I'm not going to be an open rebellion against you. So, and uh, if you don't close this door, I'm going to view this as a, as a, as a confirmation that uh, this, is, this is from you. So this is the plan I'm going to take. And you just leave it with the Father. And you'll find, amazingly enough, not only will He not close the door, He will throw it even further wide open and make it more obvious and more clear. Because you asked Him to make it clear. And He's, he's all about show and tell. He loves this. He loves showing His people what they're looking at as uh, is the case there. Also in Jeremiah chapter 24. Well, goodness, by chapter 24, man, this is... How long has Jeremiah been in the ministry now? I mean, goodness, at some point, can he stop doing this with his prophets? At some point, has Jeremiah been in the ministry long enough? No, no. There's always, just never assume that you know everything. Never assume that you know anything. Just ask to be shown. So in Jeremiah 24, uh, there's a, a basket here. Um, after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials of Judah, with the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem, and brought them to Babylon, the Lord showed me, behold, two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs. The other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten due to rottenness. So the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, figs. The good figs, very good. The bad figs, very bad, which cannot be eaten due to rottenness. Okay? And this is where Jeremiah was a little bit more blessed than Ezekiel, because Ezekiel would have been told to eat those bad figs. <laughs> All right? Um, Jeremiah at least yeah slightly different so the word of the Lord came to me saying thus says the Lord God of Israel like these good figs so I would regard as good the captives of Judah see and then they had it backwards the population did see those that were taken away like Ezekiel like Daniel those that were taken away to Babylon those were the good figs the ones that were left in Jerusalem those were the bad figs Okay, very bad. But they were so prideful about being spared. They thought they were the good ones. They thought they were the great ones. That it was all those losers that got hauled off. And that now Yahweh was going to deliver them and, and all those losers were over there in Babylon and they just had it so upside down and backwards. Which is kind of typical for believers that aren't in the Word and are operating on human viewpoint. Calling good evil and evil good. And so uh, using the vision this way and following up, what do you see? What do you see? I think it's a great thing. And uh, so, like I say, uh, uh, adopt this in your own prayer life. And uh, as if God himself was asking, you know, what do you see, Bob? Well, Lord, what I see is this, okay? Is that right? Is that wrong? What should I be seeing? And, uh, and take it from there. Amos. Amos. Amos was famous. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. And yet we still call him a minor prophet, which is kind of insulting. Um, he's got nine chapters. It's not like he's a, a single chapter Obadiah kind of guy. But anyway, Amos chapter 7. Verse 7, He showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a plumb line. The Lord said, behold, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people. I will spare them no longer. 
And so it's not just Jeremiah, it's, it's Amos, it's others. I, I kind of start to wonder if this was like normal, if, if he did this with every prophet in the Old Testament. And we just have you know a handful of them that are recorded in the, uh, in the canon of Scripture. Same thing in chapter 8 and verse 2. The Lord God showed me, and behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. He said, what do you see, Amos? I said, a basket of summer fruit. <laughs> I mean, isn't this great? It's not complicated. So, uh, I mean, just keep it that simple. You know, Lewis, if you're looking for a church, God's going to show you. So what do you see, Amos? A basket of summer fruit. So the Lord said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. And uh, there's a message with that summer fruit. Zechariah. Zechariah 4.2. Another minor prophet. This guy's got 14 chapters. Oh, this is not a uh, pleasant... Oh, chapter 4. So the angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who was awakened from his sleep and said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with its bowl on top of it, and its seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it. Also two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side. So that's pretty clear. That's detailed. He's been looking. He's been looking a long time. He's memorized those details as far as uh, this particular lampstand is concerned. One lampstand, not seven. People confuse this with Revelation 2 and 3. But one lampstand, it has seven bowls and then uh, two olive trees. And so uh, then I said to the angel who was speaking with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. I mean, if you don't know what it is, you don't know what it is. You can't fake it. You can't act like you know. Or I mean, you just got to be honest with the Lord. Say, Lord, I, I don't see this. What is this? I don't understand. And uh, isn't it amazing? If you lack wisdom, what can you do? Ask. Ask. And he gives generously and without reproach, which is the best part, my favorite part of the whole promise, because he gives generously or liberally and without reproach, which means he doesn't say, you dummy, I told you that already, why don't you know that yet? You dummy, you should, you should have that wisdom by now. There's never a you dummy statement because I'm asking him for wisdom. And without reproach, he's going to supply the wisdom because I've gone to him for it. And so uh, here's Zechariah is asked what this is. And I don't know, what is this? And so um, he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, it's a message to Zerubbabel. Well, then maybe that's why Zechariah didn't know what it was at first, because it's not even his message. But it, he'll learn the doctrine and he'll be able to communicate it to Zerubbabel. And... Uh, Interesting message there. I can't wait for, to meet Zerubbabel. I think he was a tremendous hero. And I uh, look forward to meeting him. Get down to chapter 5. I lifted up my eyes again and looked. And behold, there was a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits. Its width, 10 cubits. Man. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, you get your ruler out while you're dreaming. How do you, how do you measure this thing? How do you know its length and its width? But he's paying attention. So he said to me, this is the curse that is going forth over the face of the whole land. And uh, thankfully it's got limits. It's measured precisely. John 7.17. We get into the New Testament. And you know, uh, John 7 is an interesting chapter. Uh, it's late in our Lord's ministry. He's about six months out from the cross. This is the fall of the year before he gets crucified. And uh, the Feast of Trumpets is coming up here. And his brothers want him to go. They want him to go make a big splash in Jerusalem. And they tell him this, uh, that, you know, this Galilean ministry is, you know, small potatoes. You got to get out of the, get out of the, 
you know, they were considered hicks in uh, in Galilee as opposed to the the cultured Judeans. And uh, so in verse 3, his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Yeah, you're a big star here in Galilee, but big deal. Like being a star in a community theater production in, uh, you know, I don't want to get in trouble by picking on Kentucky or some other small part of the country that's usually considered uh, hick, as the case may be. You got to go to you got to go to Broadway. You got to get big time. You got to go to Hollywood. You got to you got to be on the big stage. See, no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. Well, who says he was doing that? Show yourself to the world. He wasn't there to exalt himself. He didn't come to exalt himself. He came to do the will of his father. For not even his brothers were believing in him. You get all kinds of ministry advice from all kinds of people. Some of them aren't even saved. But they know what you've got to do to build your church. Well, he says, go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. And having said these things, he stayed in Galilee. So his brothers had gone up to the feast. But then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So he goes undercover. He goes, uh, you know, in, in incognito, as it were. And there's all this hubbub going on. The little whispering, where is he? Where is he? Why is he not here? Much grumbling of the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he's a good man. Others saying, no, he, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. But no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. So it has to be this hush-hush whispering going on. But now in the midst of the feast, he goes into the temple and begins to teach. And so... He appears, he starts teaching, public appearance, and the Jews are astonished, saying, how has this man become learned having never been educated? (laughs) Okay? Well, he didn't go to their schools, is what they're really saying. And so, since he didn't go to their schools, since he was neither Hillel nor Shammai, and he was not a, you know, an official Pharisee or rabbi of, of, uh, with a seminary degree that they would recognize, then it just doesn't count. You know, he's unlettered. He's ignorant. So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And he reflects what we were just seeing in the Old Testament, that when the Father wants you to see something, he's going to help you to see it. He's going to make sure that you see it. He's going to show you and demonstrate. And if you want to know it, you don't have to be afraid of missing it. If you want to know that it's his word, you will know that it's his word. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. See, God goes overboard in showing you, showing you, faithfully showing you what you need to see. And we can count on that from our perspective. And so we can look at it. We can look at it humbly. We can look at it. If you are humble and you want to do his will, you will know. You will have an absolute certainty The Holy Spirit will communicate to your human spirit. It will resonate. And you will know. You will know, wow, that's from God. That's from the Father that's showing me these things. Or you will know, eh, that's a false teacher. That's a huckster. That's that's, that's not coming from God. You will know. Okay? I believe God has faithfully designed the shepherding of a flock to provide that protection for the sheep. That they will know that they won't be just helplessly led astray by a false shepherd and in spite of wanting, honestly, sincerely wanting to know the truth and they just didn't know any better. No, God will not allow that to happen. Those who are led astray want to be led astray. Those who are led astray have the teacher of their choice. They want to have their ears tickled. They don't want the truth from the Father. They want, uh, they want the things that they want from the world and they found a guy that will give it to them. And so they follow that path, they're delighted to follow that path, and the point being they're not humble, they're not willing to do the Word of God, the will of God, as it says right here. If anyone is willing to do His will. So are you presenting yourself as a workman, willing to do His will? Or are you presenting yourself as a (laughs) non-workman, you know? You know, um, 
Some folks just want to learn so that they can know more. And by knowing more, they can beat up other people that don't that know less, that don't know as much as they know. Remember, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If you're not willing to work, if you think Christianity is a spectator sport, that you're just passively taking in information and not doing anything with it, then you're a hearer only, not a doer. You're a hearer only that deludes themselves. So if you're willing to do His will, He will know of the teaching. That is so critical. We start every Bible class with silent prayer. We want to make sure we're in fellowship. We want to make sure that we're humble. We want to do His will. We're workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so when the Holy Spirit communicates, it communicates to our human spirit. And we know, we have this knowledge, this certainty. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, it says in verse 18. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him He is true and there is no unrighteousness in Him. Immediate application, of course, is Jesus Christ and His first advent. But by extension, it's every faithful pastor-teacher. Every faithful pastor-teacher that's not there to glorify themselves, the one that's there to glorify the one that sent Him, the pastor that's there to spotlight Jesus Christ, to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so you have the, uh, the provision there. James 1.5, which I've already re- referenced, but this is the, if any of you lacks wisdom, promise. And there's so many others too. Uh, I'm working on a paper right now. Um, got it in a draft at the moment. I'm working on uh, getting uh, my typos and grammar issues fixed. So... <laughs> When it gets finalized then uh, we'll put it in print and, and get it out there. But it's, it's these principles on shepherding. It's what do I do if I'm, if I'm a pulpit committee, for example? What do I do? We're looking for a pastor. How do I know this is the pastor for us? And uh, how do I avoid the wolves? How do I avoid the, the, uh, the hired hand? How do I ho- avoid the... Maybe he's a real shepherd, he's just not our shepherd. Right? How, do I det- how do I detect that? How does, what do I do there? And, and marvelously, of course, the Scripture gives us the whole, the, all the information we need as long as we follow God's pattern and not try to inject our own procedures in there. All right, James 1. <clears throat> Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, and don't we all? <laughs> in one area or another, I mean in, every, in multiple areas. So... In the areas where you do lack wisdom, where do you go? Let him ask of God, who gives to all generously. I think King James has liberally, and uh, some people are resistant to the word liberal for some reason. So generously, but this is a good place to be a liberal, all right? When God gives liberally and without reproach. So, I mean, you want wisdom? How much do you want? Because the God of all wisdom will give you all wisdom. (laughs) He'll give you more wisdom than you can handle, but he'll keep giving you more and more and more. And without reproach, it will be given to him. Remember, knock and will be open, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find. It will be given. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. The tragic problem in this prayer request is uh, you don't really mean it when you're asking for it. And uh, either that he'll answer you or that it's going to be wisdom when he gives it. Because sometimes we receive God's wisdom and we don't like it, so we say, no, that's not right. <laughs> Why did you give me that wisdom? That's, that's the wrong wisdom. You're supposed to give me the wisdom that tells me to do this, because this is what I want to do in the first place. So don't doubt. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. We're not going to have a Hebrews class this week, but next week when we have Hebrews, that's what we're going to be dealing with is the stability the stability that church age believers have. We have an anchor, sure and steadfast. One that enters within the veil. And, and that's stability. And, and the idea that, that believer priests in the church age would be as unstable as the, as the unbelievers around us, why is that? We should have the greatest stability. Sure, we're tested, but we're still stable. And so we have uh, a nice... Uh, link between this uh, Philippian series and the Hebrew study next hour. All right. Next week, not next hour. All right. So God is going to show. He's going to reveal. He's going to demonstrate. 
when we're talking about our own immaturity, our own different way of thinking, if our thinking is wrong about something, God is just so faithful to demonstrate that, to show that. You know, to, as it were, to ask us that question. What are you looking at, Jeremiah? And we're doing all this stuff, and he says, you're looking at the wrong thing. So he wants to show you what you should be looking at so that you can be in his will. All right. Then verse 16. So long as we keep living, we keep living by the unchanging standard. Philippians 3.16. It's the last verse of this paragraph. And the last point in this outline before we advance to the next section that uh, we are citizens in heaven, which is coming up in verses 17 and following. So with the new paragraph, we restart our outline and get a fresh development. But verse 16, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Let us keep living. In other words, don't stop now. Let us keep living as long as we are living, by that same standard. And the word standard is kind of included in there to bring out the fuller sense of the verb. Um, but I like it. I think it's a good, it's a good um, helping word. It's uh, maybe the same standard, the same beat, the same if you're going to march to the same drummer. We've got different idioms we can use. We want to be in step. You ever uh, serve in the military and the drill sergeant shouting out there that left, right, left thing? Well, there's a reason for that because your left foot is supposed to be stepping on the left, right? Your right foot on the, and if you, if it's backwards, if you're out of step, not good because the angry man in the brown hat is going to be yelling at you. Okay. Because he also has ways to show you when you're not in step with everybody else. If you're out of step. Stoichet was a verb to be in step, to be in line with, to conform. That's a marvelous thing. It's a thing not to resist, it's a thing to embrace the way God has designed the church age. And it's not, and it's not conformity the way the world would rebuke or be scared of conformity or accuse us of all being, you know, conformed and whatever. We are conformed to the image of Christ. We are conformed to the will of God. This conformity is a good thing. It is for our blessing. So we keep living by the unchanging standard. It's the same standard to which we have attained. The, uh, you know, the gospel that saved you back in the day, it's the same standard. It doesn't change. We're not updating our Bible. I have an atheist friend, pray for him. He thinks we need to update the Bible. That the Bible was written, you know, so many years ago. It's ancient. It's, it's kind of inexplicable in our day and age anyway. So, and it, it really needs to be updated. Modern science, uh, has learned so much that they didn't know about back then. They didn't know about quantum physics back then. So we need an updated Bible saying, anyway, this is an atheist friend of mine that I'm, I'm working on. So pray for him. And uh, the Bible does not need to be updated. You know how eternal the Bible is? Well, you guys do. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. But the Bible does not change. It's not a textbook, which is good. When, when they mock and say, well, the Bible's not a scientific textbook, thank God it's not a scientific textbook, right? Because those things are changing constantly. The, the textbooks today, the science books today that the kids are learning in school today are completely different from the textbooks I learned from back in the dark ages, right? Way back. All different science. Well, what, did, what changed? Did the science change? Yeah, the science changes a lot. Every time they learn, oh, we didn't know that before. Oh, we didn't know that before. Oh, we had that wrong. I can't keep track of whether eggs are good or eggs are bad. <laughs> Is cholesterol a thing? It was a thing for a long, long time, and now we're sold, no, it's not really a thing. We were wrong. Wow. Okay, so I just eat what I like to eat, bacon and eggs, there you go. And because, uh, you know, you wait around long enough, it'll be good again, so <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. But the Word of God doesn't change. The things that please Him still please Him. The things that anger Him still anger Him. Portraying Christ in the church in your marriage, that's eternal. That doesn't change. These things are Timeless. And yeah, I'm reading a text that seems like it was written 2,000 years ago, but it seems like it was written today. Wow, just for us, right here in Austin. So, um, stoikeo, it's a pretty short study. It's only used five times, and I put all five of them on the screen. The verb is stoikeo. The Strong's number is 4748. It has five New Testament uses. And it does mean to be in line with, to conform, 
Thankfully, though, it's not to conform with a pastor. Don't be a cult slave to the, to the pastor of the church because he himself is doing the same thing that you're doing. He wants to be in line with Jesus Christ. And you want to be in line with Jesus Christ. So um, take a look at these. Acts 21, 24. One of Paul's trials. He had so many <laughs> in front of different people. Anyway, here he is in Jerusalem. Oh, it's actually before his trials. He has not quite been seized yet. And uh, the people are coming to him and saying, we've got a problem here. That uh, since you're in town, we've got problems. They're going to hear that you're in town. And we've got to do something to make them understand that you're, you're, you're okay. And so here's what we're going to do. Because they heard about you, Paul. And so they say, um, in verse 20, when they heard it, they began glorifying God. They said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are of the, among the Jews of those who have believed, and they're all zealous for the law. So they've believed in Jesus as their Messiah, but they're still zealous for the law. They have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, telling them not to walk according to the customs. So what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Word's going to get out that Saul of Tarsus is in town and we're going to have a problem. So here's what we should do. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them. Pay their expenses so that may, they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly keeping the law. What a scheme, <laughs> you know? But here's what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, we're going to, if you just make this generous contribution to this thing, then that'll convince these people that something's not true. You know, well. But, concern, but that you yourself walk orderly keeping the law. That's our vocabulary. You yourself walk orderly. You yourself walk in step. You're right. You're marching to the same drum we're marching to. You're right in step. Everything's clicking. The fact is it's not. They are not in step with Paul and his grace message and the, the realities of the church age. And, uh, and yet Paul submits to it. He does it. He takes them in and purifies himself, went with them into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. And I think he was out of line for doing this. And not only was he out of line for doing this, uh, it didn't solve his problem. It made it worse because he was seen in the temple. And so now a whole new rumor comes up. <gasps> he went into the temple and took Gentiles with him, which he didn't do. But the fact that he was seen in the temple led rise to the next rumor. So here they are trying to solve one rumor and they spark another rumor. And uh, things just get ugly after that. All right, enough on that. Romans 4.12. Another use of stoicheo here. Abraham and his righteousness. He's the father of, uh, of course, he was, uh, the statement was made while he was yet uncircumcised. He doesn't get circumcised till chapter 17. And yet the faith was credited to him as righteousness. That gets recorded in chapter 15. And so uh, whether you're Jew or Gentile is irrelevant. By faith, you can be justified. And that's what we have here. And so he is the father, as verse 12 says, the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps. That is, a walk of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. So that's what we're doing. We're following in the footsteps, right? Following in the foot. And there's another idiom, following in the footsteps, living by that unchanging standard. You know, if you, if you violate the standard, if the, you know, the guy before you was walking this way and then you decide to venture off this other way, well, all right. You're not walking in the footsteps. You're not walking in the standard. See? And this is what we're called to do. Galatians 5.25. Taught this in our Galatians series. So we have the fruit of the Spirit. We have the deeds of the flesh. 
So what do you want to do? Well, walk by means of the Spirit. You will not carry out the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also stoikeo by the Spirit. It's not peripateo. It's not a normal word for walk. If we live by the Spirit, let us also march to the Spirit's cadence. Because He's calling the cadence. It's a stoikeo walk. The Holy Spirit is the drill sergeant doing the left, right, left. The one, two, three, four, the, the, uh, the counting the cadence on that. And so if you, and we do, first class, we, it is assumed to be true, we do live by the Spirit because we're saved, so let us also walk by the Spirit. Stoiketo by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit, that's the, the provision for church-age saints. And uh, 6.16, those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, Notice, this is a great passage too, because verse 15, neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision anything, but a new creation. We are the body of Christ, a new creation, neither Jew nor Gentile. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. The church, neither Jew nor Gentile, the new creation in Christ. And, by the way, upon the Israel of God, not the church. But the Israel of God, when they have their stewardship restored to them, they too will have this for their reality. So to be in line with or to conform, keep in mind, arriving, can you say you've arrived? Arriving at a mature status is not an arrival, but an imperative to keep going. Arriving at a mature status. If you've, if you've come to this conclusion that you're not a babe anymore, you're not an adolescent anymore, You've come to this conclusion that you are teleos. Great. But you have not arrived to any plateau special place where now you can stop doing what you've been doing. The answer is not, great, glad you're here, you can slow down, stop, retire. No. You keep doing what you've been doing. You don't change what you're doing. Why would you change what got you here? So arriving in a mature status. And I put that in quotes because some people like to think that, ooh, they've arrived. Ooh, the pastor thinks I'm mature. Well, you know, when, when, when John wrote to the little children, when he wrote to the young men, when he wrote to the fathers, they knew who they were. When Paul says, let us, as many as are complete, as many as are perfect, as many as are mature, you know who you are or you should know who you are. If you don't know who you are, that's, that's a bigger problem. You should know who you are, where you are in your growth. And uh, in Hebrews, we'll even warn you if you're trying to delay maturity. <laughs> By this time, you should be teachers. Why do you need milk all over again? Come on. If you're still breastfeeding at 35, that's not good. Okay? You've got to get to the solid food. You've got to advance to maturity. Grow up. Be an adult. So it's not an arrival per se, but it is an imperative to keep going as per the definitive testimony that we've already observed. I like it's a Ronald Reagan quote. It's also a Daryl Royal quote, probably the best coach UT ever had. Coaches will often tell their teams, let's stick with what got us here, right? Especially if they had success on the field, if they had a, 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 a tactic or a, something that got them to the playoffs, something that got them to the bowl game. Why would they change what they're doing? Why do they try pulling out something new they've never done before? Because, I mean, shouldn't they just stick with what got them here? Stick with uh, what they know works, what they've practiced, what they've drilled, what they've done over and over again? If, 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 if this Christian walk got you to maturity, why stop now? Keep walking the Christian walk. A popular version of this is dance with who brung you. You ever heard that? Apparently it was a song in the 1920s in, in Reagan's youth, and so he liked to quote it, and Daryl Royal liked to quote it uh, as a UT football coach. You dance with who brung you. And so what got you to maturity? Keep dancing, okay? <laughs> and uh, an aspect there. All right, well, we will come back on Wednesday. We may do one of two things. I, I, I mentioned this a week ago. Um, we might just move on to the next paragraph and keep keep chugging through chapter 3, or 
we did mention the goal of the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. And so it might be useful for us if we took a few classes, if we took some time to teach the doctrine of, of rewards, of Christian rewards. What is the prize? What are we reaching forward to? What are the, the crowns? There's more than one. And so what are the different crowns that we, uh, that we might attain to? And so um, I'm kind of leaning towards doing that. So anyway, just pray for wisdom. And uh, he'll give generously and without reproach sometime before Wednesday. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do one of those two things Wednesday night. Or we won't do anything. We'll hear a trumpet and we'll get to go to glory if uh, rapture pending, if that happens first. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the word of God and the blessing that we have to study and the blessing you have to show us as a loving father, to show us and that we, that we see what we're looking at, that we're not misled down the wrong path. Father, thank you for loving us and knowing us, Father, knowing uh, our ways are intimately acquainted with all our ways. You know our thinking, our rising up, our lying down. You know everything about us. You also know, Father, when our attitude needs adjusting. So, Father, be faithful. Show us those attitude adjustments. Humble us, Father, under your word. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.